Welcome to Cowan Insights, a space that brings leading thinkers together to share insights and ideas shaping the world around us. Join us as we converse with the top minds who are influencing our global sectors. Hello, my name is Charles Reed, Cowan's Healthcare Technology Analyst, and welcome to the Cowan Future Health Podcast. Today's podcast is part of our monthly series that continues Cowan's efforts to bring together thought leaders, innovators, and investors to discuss how the convergence of healthcare technology and consumerism is changing the way we look at health, healthcare, and the healthcare system. And in this episode, we'll be talking about caregiving and the challenges families face today in finding the service they need for their loved ones, which have only been further exacerbated by the pandemic. And to discuss the topic with me is Lindsay Juris-Rosner, CEO and co-founder of Wealthy, a company that provides personalized support to help caregivers tackle the logistical and administrative tasks of caring for loved ones. Thanks for joining us today, Lindsay. Well, thanks for having me on, Charles. Yeah, great to have you. So, you know, I, I, th- I think when a lot of people talk about healthcare, we, we tend to speak about it in terms of ourselves. You know, how, how do I, as an individual, use the system? How do I interact with my insurance company? Or you know, even how do I use a digital health app? But actually, uh, a lot of care is coordinated not by the individual, by, but by other caregivers. Uh, can, can you talk about this part of care delivery that we might not often think about? Well, I'm so glad that you're asking this question. That's exactly, that, that was exactly my observation as well. Um, you know, it's two thirds of people who are on Medicare who have two or more chronic conditions. Um, you know, and it's it's roughly 20% of households have a child with special needs. And so when you think about kind of more complex care, you know, chronic care situations, you know, those are situations where there is a, typically a family member who's very heavily involved in managing and navigating care. In fact, 90% of long-term care in this country today is handled by the family. And yet for some reason, we still don't always recognize that that family caregiver role and the importance of that role and also the impact of the care situation on that individual. It's enormously, enormously time-consuming and stressful and expensive and overwhelming uh, for families to manage and navigate care in this country today. And yet that family caregiver role really goes for the most part unseen and and unappreciated um, by most parties within the traditional healthcare system. Yeah, and, and, you know, and I know that this kind of strikes close to home for you. Uh, it, you know, you, you face some of these issues yourself, uh, which, you know, led you to start wealthy. You know, maybe if you can, uh, you know, speak to some of the challenges you found uh, when you were needing to help find services. Yeah, happy to. And it, it, it's true. You know, the caregiving topic is very personal for me. Um, my story, my caregiving story is that I got involved in my mom's care when I was a kid. She got diagnosed with primary progressive multiple sclerosis when I was nine. And so I was involved in her care for 28 years up until her passing about four years ago. Um, so nearly three decades. And you know, my caregiving journey with my mom took on a lot of different shapes and forms. You know, as a kid, it was more so helping out around the house. But in my 20s after college, I actually moved home and um, moved home to take care of my mom. You know, I, I would get her up in the morning and help her uh, get dressed and on and off the toilet and help her with breakfast. And then I'd go into the office and 
and sneak home during lunch to help her with lunch and then go back into the office and help her in the evenings. And I did that for years. And then later in my twenties, I moved out and um, proceeded to try to set her up for success in her home and hired and fired in home aides. And we went through hospitalizations and surgeries, special treatments. And then the last year and a half of her life, she was on hospice. And it was really through that experience that, you know, it was enormously hard for me, but it just also um, was almost this like double life. It was this secret kind of existence, the second job that I really barely told anybody about. And the eye-opening thing for me was just starting to meet more and more people who had their own version of my story. And whether it was similar to me, a parent who, who they were involved in caring for, dealing with dementia or Alzheimer's or multiple chronic conditions or general aging related issues or a child with autism or genetic condition um, or a spouse or sibling or or an individual with their own kind of ongoing care needs. It was the same problem statement. Um, And so, you know, really set out to create a better healthcare experience for for families like my own and got, you know, pretty pretty obsessed with, with trying to solve this problem. And, and, you know, as you described that, um, you, you know, you touched on obviously more than just the, the healthcare part of it, uh, you know, people to help around the house, you know, to help with, uh, you know, uh, functional living, uh, you know, what, I mean, obviously it's, it's more encompassing than just uh, the, the medical care, you know, what kind of services did you find existed in the market already? And, and you know, what, what were families uh, reaching out for? What was available to people? Yeah, so at the time I graduated from business school and at the time I was working um, at Microsoft and you know, Microsoft's this incredible company, great benefits and take, you know, takes great, great care of its employees. This is back in you know, 2009. And my mom was dealing with, um, she, she was dealing with some issues that uh, put her into the hospital and um, I was flying back and forth to, to take care of her. And so I remember at the time looking into Microsoft's benefits and thinking, gosh, there must be something here that can help me with my situation. And it was, it was, you know, kind of one of those first moments of realization that there really wasn't anything, any current benefit program that was helpful to me, you know, at the time and still today, the main care benefit was, was backup care. And, you know, my, we had kind of a whole system, a whole infrastructure. We have in-home care providers. We had all that sorted out. The backup care kind of uh, solution wasn't really relevant for us. And yet there were so many other issues that I was managing for my mom from afar on a daily basis and then flying in to help her with in person. And there really wasn't anything to support me. In my early research in Building Wealthy, though, I did discover that there was a whole cottage industry of individuals called geriatric care managers. And this was, you know, these were the people who were uh, helping families manage and navigate care, really more so specifically the non-clinical, non-medical care needs, more of the administrative logistical aspects of care. Uh, the problem with geriatric care managers was there were varying degrees of, you know, quality, right? So um, there wasn't kind of a consistent experience or training for these individuals. Also, they were prohibitively expensive. They charge several hundred, depends on your location, but 
charging several hundred dollars per hour to families. And so, you know, you just first, you know, help over a couple of weeks, that could be thousands of dollars, which, you know, for me at the time and for our family, that that felt too expensive for us. And yet, and yet we were desperate for some help. Yeah. And, and, and it's interesting, you talk about a Microsoft and we obviously think of companies like Microsoft and, you know, other major companies like that, you know, being very progressive with their benefits and, um, you know, as you started Wealthy, uh, you know, how have you found employers respond to, you know, this kind of offering being, being now available? Well, it's been wonderful to see. I mean, we certainly have seen a tremendous response from employers. I think because of a couple of reasons, you know, there was a big benefit trend and push around supporting new parents a few years ago. Um, you know, great benefit programs like Maven and Clio and Milk Stork, you know, breast milk delivery and uh, virtual, um, you know, female focused um, telehealth and, and um, progeny and Ovia and all these wonderful programs on the family building side. And so I think what we started to see is a lot of companies experiencing employees, you know, coming to their benefits team and saying, listen, I'm not looking to start a family. I'm not, you know, going through pregnancy and thinking about taking time away. So some of these benefits and programs, which are great, don't apply for me and my family, but I am struggling with, you know, a child with special needs or taking care of my aging parents or juggling, you know, being that sandwich generation. Is there something that can support me? And it's, turns out it's a large percentage of the population, right? It's, it's tw roughly 20% of any uh, workforce. So you think about the numbers, right? Like that's a lot more than, um, you know, the number of people who will be new parents in any given year. So just on a sheer volume basis, it makes sense to support, you know, the, the non-parent, non-new parent caregivers in with almost kind of a similar, you know, a similar way that you might support support parents. And, you know, so we started to see interest and excitement about our solution actually pre-pandemic. And then certainly through the pandemic over the last 24 months, you know, the the wealthy offering has just has just exploded. And it makes sense why, right? You know, yeah. what was caregiving was challenging before there was a pandemic. And the problem with the pandemic is it just added additional complexity for families. And so where things were already stressful and complex and expensive, you know, you're adding in another layer of, is it safe? And, and how do we, um, you know, manage appointments or, or finding in-home care, or considering a long-term care facility, you know, when there's risk of COVID exposure. Um, and so it added this whole element of, of additional considerations and additional stress. Yeah, and obviously the the last 24 months have been a challenge for, for everyone. Um, you know, what, what are some of the specific trends that you've seen as a result of the pandemic that's kind of, you know, you, you kind of touched on there were more challenges for families, maybe touch on, on some of those and what you're seeing in the market today and, and, and sort of, you know, um, you know, how employers are really trying to, what are the new challenges employers are trying to juggle with? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, we, we saw a couple of waves, you know, through the pandemic. In the early days of the pandemic, you know, families were scrambling 
to set up for quarantine, you know, to, to set up, you know, for older adults to make sure they were safe in their home and set up meal delivery and prescription delivery um, and figure out kind of how, who could do kind of, you know, the, the basic check-ins that maybe that, that family was doing before, but they felt concerned about safety. And then a lot of concern around older adults and long-term care facilities in the early days of the pandemic. So we were sort of scrambling to set folks up um, for kind of a safe, you know, environment through the quarantine period. Um, and then, you know, the next phase for us was supporting families and gaining access to COVID vaccines. You know, in the early days, they were really hard to come by. And especially for, you know, the vulnerable portions of our population, they were very stressed and very anxious to gain access. And so we were supporting families through that. Now the big push is with, you know, return to work, we're seeing families, you know, re, you know, reemerge and want to set up more infrastructure for their loved ones, you know, you know, even just nannies for children and daycare for children and, you know, um, hiring an in-home aid for an older adult or, or contemplating a more supportive living environment and a move. It's funny, we're not seeing the hesitation anymore that we saw in the early days of the pandemic with considering long-term care facilities and bringing people into your home. It feels like we've all sort of moved on from that. And, um, you know, and, and folks are more cautious. They want to know that, you know, there are safety protocols in place and, um, and following kind of all the best practices around that. But for the most part, people are kind of back to feeling comfortable with, with, you know, the care concept. The problem for us is just the shortages. Um, there are massive shortages, you know, daycare facilities closed, long-term care facilities reduced staff and reduced uh, capacity. And so it, it's different, you know, across the country, but in many locations, it's very, very hard to find care, especially when the care is more specialized. If you need someone to come into the home to do, for example, wound care and lifting or, you know, whatever's required for, for someone who's dealing with multiple chronic conditions, it's just increasingly challenging to find those right, right folks. Uh, you know, a lot of people through the pandemic, a lot of um, care providers moved into other careers that felt safer or if they lost their jobs or whatever it might have been. And so um, that's the biggest trend we're seeing right now. And, you know, the, the hybrid work environment creates interesting new challenges. I think for some families, it feels good to have that flexibility, but some companies are starting to require workers to come into the office for a couple of days a week. And, you know, that, that makes sense to ease back into the work environment, but that's very challenging to set up care. It's very challenging to find an in-home care provider or a nanny um, or a daycare that's, you know, available just a couple of days out of the week, you know, let alone, it's hard to find people in general, let alone for like more specific uh, kind of chunks of the week. Um, so those are some of the challenges we're seeing. Yeah, no, that that's pretty interesting. And, you know, we'll love to touch on how you, you, you approach some of those. So, you know, maybe, Maybe this is a good point. Um, you know, talk a little bit about wealthy. Uh, let let us uh, you know, let's understand how, how does how does wealthy work? Sure. Yeah, I mean, essentially wealthy. If I were to kind of simplify it, we're we're essentially a scaled platform for delivering social work. Um, we we identified that social workers are this you know asset within the healthcare system. They're really really good. They're trained to be able to help families you know, navigate services, programs, resources. And so um, we deliver, essentially, it's kind of like a 
care concierge or another way to think about it is it's kind of like telecare. So it's kind of like telehealth, um, but instead of providing, you know, um, a medical, you know, a, a doc, you know, a phone call or video call with a doctor, we're providing that virtual um, connection with a social worker. And we're focused on helping families with non-clinical, non-medical aspects of care. So things like finding the right in-home aid, handling all aspects of a move into a facility, finding providers, scheduling appointments, arranging transportation, contesting and negotiating insurance bills and helping families to navigate the right insurance plan, whether it's Medicare or Medicaid, activating a long-term care insurance policy, or navigating and setting up veterans benefits. Um, and the list goes on. So, but those are sort of some of the main things that we support families with. And, and when employers uh, choose wealthy or, or, or consumers uh, find you and, and sign up uh, individually, you know, what, what can they kind of expect um, uh, from working with wealthy? You know, is it a, a single point person that they have to work with? And, and are there, you know, kind of outcomes or data points, you know, that you can present to employers on the, on the benefits for them? Yeah, so, so exactly right. So when a family signs up for Wealthy, an employee signs up for Wealthy, we ask for a bit of information on what they're dealing with. And then based on the information that they share, we match that family up with the best fit care coordinator. And we do that in real time. So, you know, we're, we're matching based on a whole list of criteria and attributes and preferences. Um, and we feel like that's very critical, you know, as families navigate really different situations, you know, every caregiving situation is a little different in terms of the, you know, conditions, the needs, the situation, socioeconomic status, you know, uh, maybe their cultural, religious, racial kind of impacts of what the family might be looking for. It's very critical that they're working with a care coordinator, you know, they have a partner who really understands and relates to their specific needs. And so that matching process is really key. And then, yeah, that that individual becomes the family's partner, sort of like their personal healthcare project manager, you know, getting to know their situation and needs and goals and setting up a plan and going about getting things done for them. Um, and the, the impact is profound, right? You know, families spend, you know, you, th you think about the interactions with the healthcare system are actually pretty minimal. You know, a family might go to a doctor, you know, once every six months or once a year or once every few months and spend 15 minutes or, or a half hour in that doctor's office. But, you know, the care doesn't stop there, right? Families spend all day, every day making decisions, researching options, you know, finding the right equipment or supplies, all of these things. And so our whole goal is really to remove some of that burden, that that logistical burden off of the family's plate. And the, the result is really profound for that family. I mean, it's time back, it's cost savings, it's the feeling of relief that you're making the right you know, choices and decisions. And then the impact for the employer is equally profound. You know, when families come to us, often they're incredibly stressed, potentially in kind of a crisis or reactive state. And many employees express to us that they're considering taking a leave of absence, leaving their job or the workforce altogether. Typically, by the way, this is women, right? Uh, caregiving is still predominantly a women's issue. And so when you think about, you know, the workforce lost 3 million women in the last year through COVID. 
um, mostly due to caregiving concerns. You know, the ability for employers to proactively support their employees with their care needs allows that employee to be more productive, to, to be able to stay in their role, to be able to work toward career advancements and promotions. It's very critical for retaining, especially women, and, and seeing more women advance their careers. Yeah, no, that's, a, that's an amazing. And I think it's a very important point you bring there. Um, you know, you, you touched on earlier to think of Wealthy's platform as sort of telecare. Maybe talk a little bit more about how you leverage technology in, in delivering the services that you're able to for your, for your members. Definitely. And, and I love this question. I mean, I don't think that Wealthy's business, I don't think most, what's really exciting is I don't think most digital health solutions could have even existed you know, 10 years ago or 15 years ago, which is, which is pretty remarkable. Um, but yeah, we've built a really substantial platform that powers the experience for families. Um, so that, you know, cause essentially, you know, family, every family that comes to us thinks and understandably thinks that their situation is incredibly complex, incredibly unique. And in fact, from our, you know, perspective, we see actually pretty consistent situations that we're supporting families with over and over and over. And so our goal is to use technology to create processes, a recommendation engine, so that we're delivering a consistent and exceptional experience to families at scale, which we do today. Um, so we rely very heavily on the technology platform to inform our care coordinators on you know, the, the, the process to follow for completing a certain task, you know, recommendations on uh, resources or programs that other families have benefited from and recommending those to these families. And then over time, you know, we get smarter and better as a business and with our platform, and we get to learn, you know, people like you often benefit from knowing about this, this, and this, and we can get smarter uh, as we get more data and more scale. And, and you, and you, I liked your description earlier, you know, a platform for social work. And, and I guess, you know, when we think about social workers or social work in general, right, it's usually for, you know, kind of geared towards disadvantaged communities, uh, you know, people on, you know, either on Medicaid or other kind of uh, government assistance programs. But, you know, what, what you're kind of saying, though, is like, it's everybody kind of needs some of these uh, services at, at times. And, and one area that seems really developing for you guys is, is in Medicare, you know, maybe talk about, you know, you, you know, your work here in the Medicare population and, and sort of how, how you see that kind of progressing. Yeah, we're really excited to see Medicare, um, specifically Medicare Advantage plans leaning in um, to, to caregiving support. It's, it's really, it's really fun. And, and we're in talks with a bunch of plans to launch with them in 2023. And, you know, essentially, um, caregiving support became a new supplemental benefit. I guess it was in 2019, and I think you know that that benefit became kind of increasingly interesting for obvious reasons through the pandemic. Um, and, and it's and it's smart. It's good business, right? You think about, um, you know, in the situation for me with my mom. You know, I I was the one for my mom who was keeping her out of the hospital, you know, making sure she wasn't readmitted after a hospitalization, you know, making sure she was adhering to her, her plan and, and 
taking her her medications as as prescribed and you know all the things that we talk about you know that the healthcare system talks about to help reduce cost and improve outcomes you know that that's really the caregiver who's driving that for those individuals and so i think it's very smart business to start tuning into you know how do you support those caregivers provide them with the resources and tools to make sure that they don't burn out and that they you know can can take care of their loved one in the best way possible and so i think that makes a lot of sense um, what's very interesting to me is you know one of the plans that we're sp speaking with um, shared a stat that 50% of their members are spouses, meaning both the husband and the wife are on, both on the same plan. I suspect that number is pretty consistent across most plans and across the country. And if that's the case, you know, it makes good business to provide caregiving support to one spouse when they're taking care of the other spouse, because we know that that care recipient will have better outcomes, but also we know that caregivers experience heightened stress and worse health. And so it's almost like a double, you know, double benefit of offering caregiving right. support to two spouses that are both on the plan. So, you know, maybe going back to what we were talking about a little earlier uh, about technology and, and, and the description of uh, a telecare platform, you know, how, how would you com compare wealthy uh, you know, how, do, how would you uh, differentiate it between other digital health offerings like telehealth or care navigation? And, and how do you envision all these kind of pieces coming together in the future? I think that's the right question to ask, Charles. And I think they come together really nicely. Um, you know, we see the navigation platforms doing a really nice job of helping employees, you know, navigate their plan, their own benefits, and then the providers that they've access to. And most navigation platforms, you know, their, their results are really about reducing cost, you know, having better outcomes for that employer, especially kind of those self-insured employers. Um, and so that's a different kind of orientation than our orientation. You know, most often we're not, you know, the care recipient is not someone who's on the employer's health plan. So we really don't help that health plan, and we don't help that employer save money in terms of their uh, healthcare costs. You know, for us, it's re really about the, you know, supporting caregivers to, you know, improve productivity, reduce burnout, reduce, you know, leaves of absence, unnecessary leaves of absence, and improve retention. So it's just a different value prop and a different orientation. But I think you're right. I mean, they're they're, they're kind of two sides of a coin, right? Like they're both very critical. And then same thing with telehealth. I think telehealth plugs in really nicely. You know, telehealth and through the pandemic was very powerful for, for ensuring that people, you know, could be seen in a safe and comfortable way. There are exciting new models. You, you've probably seen that Jack Stoddard um, started the company Patina, um, which is primary care um, focused on older adults with, with some telehealth aspects to that. So I think that's really promising. We'll see more mo models focused on, um, you know, different segments of the population that need slightly different kind of versions of, of primary care and telehealth. But yeah, I think they all fit together into, into kind of the same, you know, the same total kind of required experience. Yeah. You know, you, you talked earlier, right, about, uh, you know, the obviously the, the statistic that, uh, you know, most of care happens at home, right? You know, the, the amount of time we spend in the physician's office is a very small portion of 
of that time. And, and, and it's clear, it sounds like when payers are speaking with you, they have that in mind. And clearly we hear that from a lot of managed care uh, these days, you know, everyone is talking about their at-home strategy. I, I know, you know Humana, for example, speaks of it very often uh, on their calls and, uh, and, you know, probably is the driving force behind some of their, uh, you know, M&A, you know, like Kindred at Home, et cetera. Um, you know, but it's still oftentimes, I, I think, kind of confined within still delivering medical care, right? Nurses into the, into the patient home, delivering medical, the medical part of the care. You know, ha have you spoken with uh, payers about how do you start integrating these other aspects? Because clearly everyone understands that convalescence at homes is better outcomes. You know, patients at home is better outcomes, but, um, you know, wrapping these other more social determinants of healthcare, you know, into that medical care, you know, is there talks of trying to integrate that more into you know, how clinical care is kind of designed and given? I think so. And I think, I think plans are starting to pay attention to that for sure. Um, we, we hear plans talking to us about it, it's, it's kind of that, yeah, it's the connection between chronic condition management and social determinants. And um, I think plans have started to realize that you know, it's really paying attention to the non-medical. I think the missing piece for most most of the healthcare system still is that the is the powerful role and partnership with the family. You know, really seeing and embracing that family caregiver as a partner. We don't see the healthcare system overall doing that yet. You know, and, and strikingly so, right? Like I was just at Health two weeks ago. You know the big health innovation conference. And you still hear all of the panels talk about patients and patients and how we're going to support patients. And I do think, you know, my, my prediction in the next five to 10 years is that we'll see a shift to the entire healthcare system starting to really, you know, target and see and support and build programs around that family caregiver. Um, it, it's the untapped kind of, um, you know, special, like, you know, benefit that no, nobody's really yet, re yet leveraging. Um, and, and it's not just health plans, I mean, it's hospitals, it's providers, it's, um, you know, we're starting to see employers leaning into it more, but I, I do think there's going to be a big trend uh, and a big, you know, push and focus around, around really recognizing, recognize that caregiver. Kind of, kind of moving from uh, everyone talked about the uh, the patient centered home medical home right you know maybe the family the family centered medical home is that maybe a, a another way to think of it that's my belief I mean if yeah. if I were to overly simplify you know and you know the Medicare you know population there you know it's I don't know what the right numbers are we don't have good data on it but it's I I guess you know it's roughly a third of members probably who are being taken care of by a spouse, you know, roughly maybe a third, these are my numbers, right? That's not based on any actual statistics, but roughly a third of members that are getting taken care of by an adult child or adult children. And then roughly a third of members who don't have any caregivers in, in their care. And, and that's not to say they don't have family. Maybe they do have family and the family visits or 
uh, calls, but they're not actively involved in the care. And I think the healthcare system, you know, especially kind of these plans as they think about, you know, providing more support in the home, have to think about these different kind of personas, if you will, and the different kind of requirements or, or kind of needs for, for these different types of, of members. Yeah, we often think of Medicare members as this one just kind of body age 65 and older, but but obviously, you know, as we age, you know, coming into Medicare, we might still be relatively healthy, right, and not need much assistance, and, and that changes over time. So, you know, the, the services that we need probably need also need to uh, be available at different points. That's right. That's right. Um, you know, you, you talk about the shift that you think is that we're going to see over the next five to 10 years, you know, more embracing the caregiver and the family and the caregiver as a sort of a more holistic entity. What do you think needs to uh, change or shift for us to achieve that? Like what's available today and what, what do you think still needs to be created either maybe in mindset or policy or, or just, uh, you know, just the overall the way the system delivers care? Yeah, I'm not, I just think we need, um, you know, the, in my opinion, you know, there is no real kind of uh, care infrastructure, elder care infrastructure. Um, you know, it's still kind of family by family piecing together, you know, the medical care, non-medical care for their specific situation. And so that, that, that needs to change, right? We, it's just too hard, you know, and as care needs become more complex and people live longer and then the system becomes more complex, it just is putting more and more burden on families. So of course, you know, uh, it's getting more expensive. Um, so I, I, you know, I think, listen, I think the policy changes we've seen or, or proposals we've seen over the last, you know, year or whatever with the Biden administration have been, you know, pointing in the right direction. I don't think they're actually setting up infrastructure. I mean, it's more about putting more money into the existing system. So it's not actually changing the system. You know, I, I think we just, we do need to think about, you know, with a massive aging population, more individuals living longer with disabilities and complex care needs, you know, what are the, what, what does it look like to kind of support um, that portion of the population, which is large? And um, it goes well beyond, you know, what happens in a provider's office. Um, you know, we, we just, we need more of everything. We need you know, we need more in-home care providers. We need more quality long-term care facilities, supportive living environments um, that are modern and affordable for families, but, you know, are, are, are like delightful places to live. And we need in-home care providers that take extraordinarily good care of our, of our loved ones and are trained and paid appropriately. And we, we just don't, I mean, it's just massive shortages and the folks that are there are, are pretty burnt out and not paid appropriately and, and not trained appropriately. And that's not delivering the results we wanna see as a healthcare system. Um, so there's a lot of work to get done. Um, you know, I'm not convinced that policy is gonna get us there. Um, I, I love seeing you know, the private sector and employers leaning in and, and you know, embracing solutions like Wealthy and there, there are other great solutions out there that are, you know, trying to start to create some of the infrastructure. And, um, you know, I, I'm hopeful that we'll see more and more employers provide support to caregivers, more and more 
MA plans get sophisticated with the benefits they provide um, and Medicaid as well. Um, so I don't know that there's kind of one easy solution. I mean, I think it's over time, you know, building, you know, some real infrastructure that really helps families with the everyday needs they face as they deal and manage complex care situations. Yeah, and maybe just to finish off, because you because you kind of brought it up there, right? You know, if we think about the infrastructure bill, and um, you know, to your point that we're, you know, intentions are good, and we're trying to add more funds, but it's really laying into existing programs. So, in other words, we're stressing the existing infrastructure, which you know probably has already been challenged as it is in delivering, you know, on their on their stated missions. Um, the burden of, you know, taking care of more people with, uh, you know, they might have more money, but it's, it's getting money to the people that need it or getting the service to people that need it. It, it sounds like, you know, could that be a natural fit for, for someone like wealthy to work with, uh, with state governments or the, or the federal government in that and in, in providing that kind of infrastructure and uh, technology pipes, let's say, uh, to enable that better. Well, you're, you're, you're thinking where I'm thinking. I, I would love for us to, you know, I think, you know, what Wealthy is really trying to solve for is what I think state, you know, the state-based departments of aging have struggled with, you know, state, you know, departments of aging are, are today kind of, you know, the, the platform or, or resource that's offered to families to help manage and navigate care, um, specifically for older adults, actually, but I think most departments of aging also help with um, other kind of care needs outside of older adults, despite the name. The problem is, yeah, those those departments of aging are pretty underfunded, um, you know, understaffed. There is no technology. There's no kind of systemic organization within within those organizations. So, um, yeah, I think it's a, a very powerful potential opportunity for wealthy to support, you know, and work with a progressive governor to support their their state-based um, Department of Aging and, and really get more support to more people across that state, get the right resources, right services and programs to the right people when they need them. Um, so we'd love to do that. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think we're sort of at the time here and I just wanted to, you know, Lindsay, uh, really enjoy this conversation. And I, and I think the work that you're doing is, is very exciting and and certainly, uh, it, you know, adds an important piece to, um, you know, the this ever complex healthcare environment that we're we're operating in. Uh, so, you know, really want to thank you for uh, spending time speaking with us today. Oh, Charles, thank you, thank you for the phenomenal question. It's really great conversation. Yeah. So, well, so I'll just end it there. And uh, thanks everyone for listening. And I uh, hope you t- stay tuned for uh, not only this episode uh, but future episodes as well. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for joining us. Stay tuned for the next episode of Cowan Insights.